Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Good morning. I'm Ed Phillips, one of the pastors here. And uh, we are this morning going to continue with our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is a super important section of Scripture for me personally. Because uh, in a real sense, in a new way, I took a a class on the Sermon on the Mount in seminary. It was a very good class. I enjoyed it. Uh, But it wasn't really till the sabbatical that you all wonderfully gave me last year and those three months where I came to really appreciate the the intention of the Sermon on the Mount. That it's really about Jesus speaking to his people and encouraging us not to just gut it out and, and live a Christian life and do all the right things, though sometimes people read the Sermon on the Mount as new laws, new, new perspectives or new obligations, but we can't live those obligations because it's not within our power just naturally to do it. And that's where my revelation came in that the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to us about being new people. Being new people where the life of Christ flows through us. That's not an automatic thing. And as I'm almost 60 years old, I think, well, I I still have a long way to go. This is a lifelong journey and probably could take way past that. But there is this sense in which I need to change and grow and mature. And that... My attitudes and my thinking and my actions have to be shaped by the very presence of Jesus' life. And the Sermon on the Mount, when you read it, you know, like the, the, the Lutheran church or Luther himself thought, well, the Sermon on the Mount is just a, a message that we read and we realize that we fail over and over. It's like the law in the Old Testament. We're just, all that we're to see is that we can't make it. We can't do it. There is some sense in which that is true. We can't make it naturally. We can't make it on our own. We only can live the Sermon on the Mount, hope to live the Sermon on the Mount, move towards living the Sermon on the Mount through intimate Walk and knowledge of Jesus. Intimate acquaintance with Jesus so that Jesus is living in us. He's changing us, living through us. Those are not just cool ideas that we hear and we think about and we think, oh, I wish that would happen someday. I mean, we're talking really living through us. Learning to know Jesus, His heart, His desire. And whenever I read the Sermon on the Mount... And we talk about the great concepts in here. And I think of like last week with Craig talking about authenticity and talking the truth and being true and real. And I think about Jesus talking about uh, divorce and lust, anger, 
what comes out of our hearts naturally, what comes out of my flesh naturally, that's, that's missing what Jesus is calling us into. It's missing what Jesus is calling me into, you into. And that's the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we get ready to look at this passage that we're going to look at today, it's one of those that really hit, hit you between the eyes. It's one of those that we, we stop and we say, boy, I can see I'm not there yet. We need that spiritual union with Christ to achieve these things because in our natural selves we will absolutely miss the mark we naturally travel a course of sin and destruction and disobedience in our text today we're going to find those most challenging statements that really test our our natural response and the call to a spiritual response it is in our text today that we hear those famous, you know, known words, turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile. And we will want to understand the meaning of those words. And in essence, Jesus' instruction for us is, how in this situation do we deal with offenses, with criticisms, with demands from other people and insults from people? How do we maintain relationship when this is a broken world, we have broken relationships. And Jesus is calling us as his people to be a beachhead in this world. As N.T. Wright says, it's a beachhead in this world to be a picture, a demonstration of the reality and truth of Christ. And it's in those kinds of settings, those moments of insult and hurt and broken relationship, encountering this broken world, that the demonstration of Jesus' truth and light in life can be seen. And that's what we're privileged to do. So when we think about this text, our world is filled with conflict and with relationships that are broken. And we encounter them as believers in various diff- different situations. And our world has a tendency to enter into those conflicts and escalate them. An example of this is, I'd like to remind you of the story of Rene Butcher. He admitted to a felony, which was committed in January 2018, last year. Or is it two, two years ago? He signed, he signed a plea agreement that means that he would receive the maximum sentence of 10 years in prison and $250,000 fine. Mr. Butcher was actually a retired doctor. He lived in a, he was 58 years old. He lived in a fine neighborhood in Kentucky. He had an upscale house. It was a nice neighborhood. So what federal crime did he commit? Did he rob a bank? Did he kill somebody? Was he involved in organized crime? Nope. None of these things he had done. Instead, he attacked his neighbor. And you might be familiar with the story. The neighbor he attacked was Congressman Rand Paul. 
and his next door neighbor was in this ongoing feud between uh, Mr. Butcher and Rand Paul for some 17 years. Now you might wonder, well, okay, so they had this feud and, and then there's a felony committed. What happened? You would think maybe Rand Paul maybe assaulted Mr. Butcher years ago or maybe Rand Paul was using his political influence to oust Mr. Butcher from the neighborhood through the uh, neighborhood association. Or, I don't know. But actually it was nothing quite like that. It was about how Rand Paul managed his lawn. See, Mr. Butcher had a perfectly immaculate lawn. It was manicured. And for 17 years, he resented the fact that Rand Paul would mow his lawn without considering that he had grass clippings going onto his lawn. And then in... In 2018, what broke the camel's back, it seems, is that Rand Paul had picked up all the twigs in his yard and stacked them up on, the, on his own property, but it was very close to Mr. Butcher's property. And this is just too much. So when Rand Paul was walking away, Mr. Butcher came out and tackled him. Tackled him so hard, broke five ribs. And gave Rand Paul uh, pneumonia developed from those broken ribs. It was a very serious situation. The police came, an arrest was made right there. Of course, Rand Paul is a congressman, so, you know, the laws are pretty stiff for, you know, attacking a congressman. And therefore, you have the 10 years, $250,000 fine. And he might spend years in jail. And have a gigantic bill because of a lawn. This points to the fact that we tend to escalate, escalate conflicts. We tend to build them up and we tend to exaggerate them. And this leads us to the text we are going to look at today. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 38 through 42. It's one of the most uh, challenging texts. If, if I were to remember one thing from my uh, class on the Sermon on the Mountain Seminary, this is one of those texts that I remember because it, it speaks maybe because I have a, a, a heart of retaliation or something. Uh, but it speaks to me. It challenges me. And I hope that as we read it, it will challenge you. And it will challenge you not in a way of a more a, a greater performance that I've got to do this. This is another thing that Jesus wants me to do. But it'll challenge you in a way of I've got to know Jesus better. I've got to let Jesus live in me and through me to do this because I can't do it myself. So let's read. When our practice is, is, as we read, I'll read, and then when we're done, we'll say, uh, this is, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'll ask you to say, thanks be to God as an affirmation of His great work. Starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we know that it is you speaking to us your truth in your word. And as we study today, we want to hear you. We want to know your will, your purpose, your plan, your, your will for us to live in the light of your great word. And so, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to your word today. Be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin, we, we, we have to remind ourselves that in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, probably starting at verse uh, 21 and following, there, is, uh, there are many references to the law or the, the teaching of the law, the interpretation of the law. And Jesus is, is in a very authoritative way saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And as we look at these laws, sometimes people think, well, Jesus is just undermining them or he's just setting them aside. But in actuality, I think he's intensifying them and sharpening them. And really, I think he is getting to the heart of what God longed for, for his people from the beginning. And so Jesus actually refers to this familiar saying, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And, and most of us recognize that statement. It is it's a wonderful reminder of how influential the Bible has been in our society that we still know those things. But often people do not know why this was said and exactly what it means. And so I want to help us think about that a little bit. Jesus is speaking about a moral point, a moral principle in this text. But he's using the Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law had a civil and a moral component to it, for the law was given for the people of Israel as they developed into a nation of followers of God. So there is a civil part and a moral part. But in this teaching of Jesus, Jesus is not necessarily setting up a a physical kingdom again or a nation. He is calling forth from the world, from us, people for himself. And he is emphasizing the moral character, the moral truth, the obligation we have before God as his people. So I think he is calling us to extraordinary love, to care deeply, and to step into relationships with grace. And I like to call it being open-hearted, open-hearted towards others. So let's think about this a little more. First, we need to know that the law is good and we need to know why the law is good. Jesus in this section has been challenging the interpretations of the law and he actually quotes the law here when he talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It comes from Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25 and it says, if people are fighting 
and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there's no serious injury the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the courts allow but if there is serious injury you are to take life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot burn for burn wound for wound and bruise for bruise now this text is kind of speaking about a civil situation but also includes a moral situation this is often called a lex talionis which in latin means a retaliation or revenge and this revenge kind of makes us feel a little uncomfortable but in actuality the law was given to give boundaries to give structure to retaliation to what is just to what what should be sought out as revenge this passage is to stop this kind of wild escalation of kind of hurts and injuries and attacks you know we could think of the Hatfields and the McCoys in, uh, in the south where they had a family feud and for years that went on in the 1880s and, and uh, they were killing one another because of this family feud. And if you go down to the bottom of what was really going on, why were they having this feud? It had to do with a pig. Like whose pig was it? And one thought they stole the pig. That, that's what it's about. And it lasted and many people lost their lives because of that. And so the law that God gave was to set limits on that escalation, limits on that retaliation, because the problem is escalation. We see this in our day with road rage. People go overboard when somebody cuts them off. Uh, I shouldn't say people, I guess. I'm included in that. We go overboard, because I think about many times when I go overboard when people cut me off. Or when they're going too slow and we zip up and speed around them and show them how fast they should be going. Seems obvious. <laughs> but, but what happens is, is we don't have any governor on that. We, we automatically, our natural response is to escalate it, to ma- take a big stick and, and settle the issue. You know, and that, that is, the natural response and Jesus is speaking to us about doing that differently because God has given us new life in Christ we as the people of Christ can demonstrate something new something profound something life-giving in those specific situations and I'm telling you I need to continue to learn to grow in those situations but we all need to continue to learn to grow in those situations because we're called to be disciples of Christ. We're called to be reflections of who He is. You know, if we allow escalation and retaliation to continue to go unchecked, you know, you could see a situation where someone throws an egg at my house and I take a brick and throw it at their house and they throw gas at my house. And, and then I shoot them. You know, we end up, somebody gets shot over an ache. You know. So why did God give these laws? Because to give structure to justice. 
And that's a good thing. Now I know that, you know, that's good that God gave those laws and that we all in here are all pretty good and we don't have that trouble. We don't escalate things. And so I'm, you know, I'm glad I hang out with all you guys. (laughs) The natural tendency, though, is to retaliate. I, I can remember, it's not a happy memory, but having a boss of mine belittle me at work. And then spending the next two days just thinking about how I'm going to return to work and when I have that opportunity, I am going to say the most nasty thing and all of my coworkers are going to, yeah, right. We all do these kinds of things. And that's all our natural tendencies. And so Jesus really opens up the can of worms for us. What, what are we living by? Our flesh? Or are we living by the Spirit of God? That brings us to second. We need to hear Jesus calling us to non-retaliation. The heart of this instruction comes to us in verse 39a. It's that little phrase. It's really tough to interpret. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, it would be easier if it was do not resist somebody who doesn't really see it, doesn't see the whole picture, somebody who doesn't understand, somebody that just inadvertently does stuff to you. I say the evil person. Now, I need to be clear that Jesus is not talking about civil laws. He's not talking about get rid of your laws. They're, They're... Uh, Leo Tolstoy, reading the Sermon on the Mount, said we should just get rid of all laws, get rid of the police, get rid of everything. We get rid of everything, it'll be fine. I actually think that laws and civil governments and justice and courts are a gracious provision of God in our broken world. And so they go so far, but only so far. But they're important. In Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 describes the proper role of government and even in our relationship with them and the use of civil laws. But you must, you must hear and remember what uh, I like John Piper and John Piper says in his book Love Your Enemies. He says the follower of Jesus must see himself or herself as Jesus follower first and American second. Whatever rights we are offered by the Constitution or the Bill of Rights must follow the Lordship of Christ first. So Jesus is not speaking about civil laws specifically here in this text, but he is talking about the moral call of those of us who name the name of Christ to live out the Spirit of Christ, to let the life of Christ flow through us. And there is to be an open-heartedness of us towards those who offend, hurt, who in some ways are evil towards us. Now the natural response is not that. But the godly response is, can I be open to Christ revealing himself through me for for the good of that person. Can I be open hearted? Now I've had. To have a personal check. On my heart. 
Many of you heard me a couple of months ago, I think it was November, uh, mention helping a stranded Amish man who was supposedly from Pennsylvania. And uh, his father called me from Pennsylvania. And we get lots of calls in the office, in the church office, of people who are in need. And I, we try to figure out when and how and can we help them. And sometimes we send them to Love, Inc. and they come back. Or we try to figure out how to be helpful to them. But we can't kind of discern every situation. It's a very challenging thing. Well, in this situation, the father calls me from Pennsylvania. He's the elder pastor, he says. He talks to me about the gospel and what our beliefs are in God and Christ and the Bible and everything. And he says he's the pastor, been there for years. And his son was traveling to help a church or Amish community in Mexico and he broke down here, had a seizure, and now he's stuck in Colombia and they went on and he needs help. Can I help? And I'm like, okay, uh, I guess we'll check this out. And they're Amish, you mean? Well, they got to be telling the truth. <laughs> so I go to the place, and, and sure, the guy's there. He's showing me all the papers. He's talking in Pennsylvania Dutch on the phone. I mean, everything. And so I said, well, come to our house. So I bring him to our house. Um, Peggy's made dinner, we sit down, we give him dinner, he can't eat certain things, we make him special things because he can't eat our food, and he's talking about what it's like to be in the English house, and he's telling us all about what it means to be Amish. And yeah, we probably had him for a couple hours at our house, and then uh, he told us about his wife who was in Tulsa who was stranded and pregnant and with her mother-in-law and he needs money to get to Tulsa pick them up and money to get back to Pennsylvania and I'm talking to the dad and he's just asking me to help and he's saying you know we would be glad to reimburse you anything that you know just if we could just help us out somehow I'm kind of thinking this is legit seems legit to me and so we help him I used some benevolence fund money. And I used some of my own money. And we tried to help them. And probably a couple, three days after that, after ongoing conversations with this supposed pastor in Pennsylvania, I kindly, finally, you know, hit the light bulb. I remember Craig's uh, illustration last week, we're gullible, we want to believe, and that's kind of totally related to that. And then I figured out that it was all a hoax. Now, where does the heart check come from me? Well, first, I don't like to tell you all that I'm totally screwed up that way. And, uh, and it's embarrassing. We were in, we we're just totally, have somebody in our home. You know, you've had, maybe you've had the experience of your house being robbed when you're not there. Well, this feels like our house was robbed and we were there. And we're talking to the person who's robbing us. And so everything about it just, just like totally <laughs> unnerving. And, but the heart check for me comes the next time. I get a call in the office and somebody needs help. 
And I'm like, <laughs> I've heard this story before. No way, Jose. There, there's no chance I'm giving you anything. You can just go talk to somebody else. Talk to him. You know, that's, that's the natural response. And, don't, and aren't we like that? We get hurt. We get insulted. Okay, it's time. I'm, I'm going to take care of this situation. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to set up the walls I need. I'm going to get an army if I need to. And I will make sure I make them pay. And that all came up in my heart. And then I got to think about Jesus and his words. And I, and I think Jesus is saying... Do not resist the evil person, even when you are taking advantage of them. I mean, certainly, we're going to look at these examples here really quick, you know, in a moment, you know, slapping, the, slapping your cheek and turn the other cheek. Wanting to sue you for your shirt, give them your coat. Wanting you to walk one mile, walk with them too. And Jesus didn't say, and these are the nice people that are asking things from you. This, don't resist the evil person. This person came into our house and lied to us the whole time. And now what am I going to do? Am I going to respond with retaliation and escalation and protection? Or am I going to keep my heart open to the needs of people? And oh, I think this speaks so profoundly to our relationships as believers. Because so many times we get hurt, we get offended. Maybe there was something that somebody did to you that was wrong. We are not free to say, I'm going to take that offense and make it into a, a battering ram to get that person back. What this text is telling us is keep our hearts open. Jesus modeled that for us. Peter believed that wholeheartedly. And he laid that expectation on the first century Christians. When they were in very difficult, dangerous situations. When they were facing real confiscation of their property and the possibility of being thrown into jail. They really lived this out. Peter laid it at their door, and it should be laid at our door as well. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Where does Peter get this strength? Where did Jesus get this strength? How can you have that strength in the midst of facing someone who is attacking you, hurting you, insulting you, saying lies about you. Where do you get the strength? Entrusting yourself to Him who judges justly. One of the most tragic events uh, that was brought about by a gunman who killed nine people was that prayer meeting in Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Dylan Roof 
shot nine people at the end of a prayer meeting in cold blood. And at the trial, the family were able to speak to him. And I don't know if you saw it, there's a movie out about it, but it was the most moving thing I'd ever seen. I sat in my living room thinking about it. Sat in my living room crying as these people said, you took away someone who is so precious to me. And my prayer for you is that God would have mercy on your soul. It was a a divine moment. As we saw Christ's love and grace flow through the lives of those people. Because they did not resist the evil person. But they cared for him in the face of that kind of pain. This too is not automatic. It only happens as we realize the grace of Christ and the love of Christ for us and can communicate that love to our brothers and sisters, to our friends and neighbors, to our community. There's nothing more important than that. So, as we continue to think about this, Third, Jesus gives us three applications to show us how important this is. First, he mentions the slap. Notice the slap is on the right cheek. In that culture, almost everybody was right-handed. And certainly there were some left-handed people, I'm sure. Yet Jesus said that when you are slapped on the right cheek, that doesn't mean that you're slapped with a forward hand, an aggressive hand, straight away. That means if you're standing here and you get slapped on the right cheek, they have slapped you with their backhand. And that's important because it helps us understand the intent and what's happening here. What that is, is a, a slap of dismissal. A slap of, you don't mean anything to me. It's a slap of humiliation. And what Jesus calls us to do is to turn the other cheek. That I can't do in myself. I can only do that with His power and His strength in me, following Him, knowing that the the life I need is in Him and I can do these things only by Him living in and through me because I don't do that naturally. The next one is if anyone sues you for your shirt, literally your inner garment, hand over your coat as well. This would be shocking in the first century because you could sue somebody for their inner shirt, but their coat you could not take. It was their livelihood. It would be like a homeless person on the street with a sleeping bag, taking their one chance of staying warm at night and being protected against the elements. It was the covering that gave them life. You could not sue for that in the first century. But Jesus says, if they sue for your inner shirt, give them your coat as well. That's that's radical love. That's radical open-heartedness to those 
who you encounter and those who might be against you and whom you might be in conflict with, who might be insulting you. And next is walking the extra mile and you probably are familiar with this one, but what does this mean? Of course, in the first century, the Israelite nation was occupied by the Romans. They didn't have trucks and they didn't have earth movers or anything like that. What they did when they needed to move the army and all of their equipment is they could conscript somebody from the crowd say, carry my bag for a mile. You think of Jesus when he couldn't carry his cross and Simon of Cyrene was conscripted to carry the cross. It was a very common practice. Nobody likes it. Nobody wanted to be picked out of the crowd and say, okay, you're for the you know, next 20 minutes, you're walking a mile with my bag. But Jesus said, go two miles. What's he saying? He's saying that our life is not made up of the circumstances of this world. Our life is made up of the relationships we have, the people we encounter, the need to give of ourselves to these people and to show that there is a greater life in God and in our relationship with Christ than just the circumstances of our world. And when we let insults or misunderstandings or criticisms or broken relationships or a boss giving somebody credit at work when I'm the one that did it, When we let those things govern and guide our lives, we're missing the opportunity to live for the kingdom. Jesus says, do not retaliate. Jesus said, in those very concrete circumstances, live a different way. We can think of those, give to those who ask. Continuing to go further to show love and open-heartedness towards people. There were people in that that society who were disabled. Maybe they had a birth defect. And that their only livelihood was asking for money. We encounter those kinds of things. We need to be careful. Sometimes giving hurts people. It doesn't help them. But there is a way that we can give. And the point of that command, that encouragement, is that we value the person more than the circumstance. That we're open-hearted towards them and it's an opportunity to show grace and love. So we are challenged not to use our personal rights Not to worry primarily about our honor and our respect. We are challenged to take one for the team. To step back. To take the insult. Because the team is the kingdom of Christ. And it's our brothers and sisters together. And there's something more valuable in this world than just how we're perceived, how we're feeling, how we're treated something much greater and that is who is our Lord? Who is our Master? And what kind of loving King is He?
Are we demonstrating that king in our loving relationships with others? This does not mean that we do not, if we see violence, if we see sexual abuse, if we see abuse of people or children, that we do not call the police. We'll call the police. Compass Church, we'll call the police if we see that. But it does mean also that we care about the person. We're not closing the doors on those people. We're not shutting them out. We're entering into their world. We're wanting to see the grace of God transform and change. We want to love them as Jesus loved us. So in conclusion, in living this truth, there are three steps that I can think of. First, don't jump on the escalation train. Stop and consider all the factors of the situation. Don't respond naturally. But first, pause and ask Christ how he wants you to respond. Second, find the issues where there is agreement so that you can come together on those things first to build the relationship, to show your love and concern for them. And third, Approach the situation by prioritizing persons rather than rights. This is the essence of the kingdom of Christ. To bring love and to bring grace to bear in an open-hearted way through the people that Jesus has changed. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you that you are gracious to us in that in so many ways we fail and we have insulted you and ignored you and walked away from you. But you continue to be open-hearted to us and open-hearted to this world and to anyone who would turn and cry out to you. You, you promise to respond with grace and mercy and forgiveness and new life. Lord, I pray that we as your people would demonstrate that. That that would be our go-to response rather than our natural response. Lord, may Jesus live through us in all the specific situations of our life. For we know that we will see your grace and life come to bear in our family relationships, our neighborhood relationships, our church relationships as we allow you to live through us. In Jesus' name, amen.